by faith in the name of Jesus, someone or some people are going to get healed this morning. I don't know what. I don't know who. I don't know how many. I don't know whether it will be a physical healing or a spiritual healing or a mental healing or an emotional healing. But by faith in the name of Jesus, someone or some people are going to get healed. This morning we're looking at healing, and there's never been a better time to talk about physical healing in the life of this church than right now. Because over the last few months on a Sunday morning, we've heard testimonies of Jesus healing people's ears, tonsils, various aches, pains in their bodies, all amazing, all miraculous. But dare I say it, in and of themselves, not life-changing. But over the last few months in the life of this church, we have heard about Gina and her healing, which was absolutely life-changing. We've heard about Sammy and his healing, which was absolutely life-changing. Even last Sunday, or the Sunday before, we got to hear about Claire, who you may not have heard, but she tore her ACL skiing. They said, you're going to have to have a surgery. You won't be able to drive for six to eight months. She's looking after two teenage children on her own, two elderly parents. She's running all the things at church. She's got crisscross on the horizon, and six to eight months, she's going to be out of action and can't drive. And God heals her. That's life-changing for six to eight months at least. So if you are here this morning and you do not believe that Jesus heals, then I am not going to try and spend my time convincing you. I'm simply going to tell you to go and speak to Gina, Rosemary, or Claire and ask them to explain to you what he has done, and then you can make up your own mind. But I do believe that there are things that God wants to teach us today about healing, including physical healing, from the passage that we're going to look at. And I want you to remember that we are looking at this subject in response to a prophetic word that God gave to us as a church towards the end of last year, when he called us as individuals and as a church to four things. He called us to prayer, commitment, dedication, and obedience. Do you remember they were the four legs of the table? And he said that his response to that would be that he would anoint us in terms of salvation, healing, spiritual gifts, and fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember those were the bowls that sat on the table? And the result would be that people would be set free from things that bound them, from the cages. They would find health, whether that was physical health, mental health, emotional health, or spiritual health. That is why we are looking at this series And this morning, we come to look at spiritual health. But just remember, the whole uh, issue of healing and health, it does include physical healing, but it's much broader than that. It includes all those other areas. And in fact, the same, if you like, truths, principles apply, whether you are thinking about physical health, spiritual health, mental health, or emotional health. Because the root, the root, the source of all those is Jesus. It's not books. It's not changing your diary. It's not getting really good at some other things. All those things may help, but at the end of the day, the one who brings that kind of health, the one who sets people free, and there is only one who can do it, and his name is Jesus. 
And therefore, when we look at physical healing, we can actually learn stuff about the kind of healing that Jesus does across the board. Does everybody get that? That's kind of what we're looking at this morning. Is anybody excited about what we're looking at this morning? I am very excited about what we're looking at this morning. I haven't been very excited. I've been very frustrated. I've written this preach three or four times, and I still look at it and think, Lord, really? This? Really? But I believe it's because Jesus wants to come and do some healing work this morning, and he doesn't want anybody's eyes focused on anything else apart from him. That's all. It's not because it's going to be a great preach, not even going to be a good preach. Might even rank down there as a pretty poor preach, really. Doesn't matter. Jesus is going to come and do some stuff. That's what matters. So let's read. If you've got your Bibles or your machines or whatever, it'll come up behind you. We're going to read Acts 3, verse 1 to 20. Acts 3, 1 to 20 says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of, of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Can you just get the scene for a moment? I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? it I walk past some people in Oxted for a period of time who are kind of begging on the street, maybe not because they're lame, but because they're... But can you imagine walking past the same person that you'd seen week after week, month after month, year after year, and they can't walk, and suddenly they're up jumping around? It's just amazing. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God 
so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is your word, and your word reveals who you are, reveals to us what you did, reveals to us what you want to do, reveals to us what you are going to do. So Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit, would you come and speak into our hearts and to our lives right now for your glory. Amen. We're going to really focus on the first half of this passage, in a sense, this morning, kind of the first bit and up to verse 16. Next week, I'm actually going to look at that second part where he says to them, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. But this morning, we are looking at this healing. So let's just get our heads around what happened. Let's, I always think about this passage. I always like looking at this passage and looking at who's looking at who, right? Who's looking at who? I think it's fair to say that Peter and John are focused on Jesus. They've been with him for three years. They've seen him crucified. They've seen him raised to life. They spent time with him. They've watched him ascend into heaven. They've just been filled with his Holy Spirit. They're heading off to the temple to pray. It's fair to say their eyes, I think, are on Jesus. But think about the other characters in this story. The lame man, the man who can't walk. He's, he's not really looking at anyone. He's, he's got that classic kind of beggar's pose. You know, beggars sit down and they kind of put their head down, don't they, like that? They kind of look, but they don't really look. Do you know what I mean? That's, I think, how they were looking. Because, because they have to say to him in verse 4, look at us. He's obviously clocked that someone's coming, you know, money for the poor, you know, I'm not really looking, am I? That kind of thing. And they kind of have to say to him, no, no, look at us. He's, he's looking down at the ground in that kind of humbled, begging position, no doubt, hoping and expecting to get some money off them. But then when they call, his, when they say, look at us, his eyes go off the floor and he looks at Peter and John. And once he's looking at them, they say to him, in the name of Jesus, walk. And they help him up. Jesus heals his ankles and his feet, and he walks. And this causes the man to stop looking at Peter and John. He had been looking at the floor, and then he was looking at them. But now what's happened, he stops looking at them, and he starts walking, and he starts jumping, and he starts praising God. His eyes have gone from the floor to Peter and John to God, right there in that moment. Boom, boom, boom. It's kind of what's happened. And his actions now, by jumping and walking, because he was a man who wasn't able to do that, he's causing the people around, the crowd, who presumably had just been going about their normal business, hadn't been looking at anything much, hadn't been focusing on anything particular. Suddenly, that's the man who couldn't... He's, he's jumping. That man who... He, 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 he's jumping, that man. Now suddenly the crowd, suddenly uh, their attention is drawn to him. Because it would be, wouldn't it? It would be. There's a man who couldn't walk and now he's jumping and he's praising God. I, I was just out walking and look at his now. He's, uh, suddenly the crowd's eyes are focused on this man. And then Peter and John... Suddenly the crowd stop looking at the man and they start to look at Peter and John. 
They, they, they start to stare at them because they, they, they suddenly, well, this man's healed. It couldn't have been him because he was just a beggar. He's a crippled man. He, who's done this? Oh, it must have been those two men, Peter and John, who he's with. They've been with Jesus. They've just done a miracle. They start to stare at Peter and John because the crowd think Peter and John have healed this man. So they start to stare at them, which causes Peter and John to say, why are you staring at us? Why, crowd, are you staring at us as if, as if it was by our power or godliness that we healed this man? And then they say, no, no, God did it in order to bring everyone's eyes and focus onto Jesus. We did it in the name of Jesus. Jesus has healed this man. And then Peter and John are getting the eyes of the crowd off them and on to Jesus. See, in this story, apart from Peter and John, everyone is either looking nowhere or looking in the wrong place. The man and the crowds. Until God moves through his people empowered by the Spirit, and get everyone looking at Jesus. That's what God has kind of done here. He's fixed every heart and every eye, and he is now focusing those eyes on Jesus. Let's just break this healing down a little bit. First thing I want to say is that Peter and John don't heal this man. In verse 6, where it says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what, I do, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. What is it that Peter and John give this crippled man? We know it's not silver and gold because they say they don't have any. But it's also they don't give him the ability to walk. They don't give him the healing. They say themselves in verse 12, why do you stare at us as if by our, our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Right, they don't have the money that's going to sort out his immediate needs, but they also say we don't have power to heal him. We can't sort out the root of the issue. I've heard some Christians explain this passage and kind of state that because it, that Peter and John heal the man. You know, I, I don't have silver and gold, but I, I, I give you what I give you, what I've got. In the name of Jesus, walk. And kind of make the leap that they healed this man. That they had the power to heal that Somehow, yeah, it was on behalf of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit, but kind of they healed the man. But Peter and John make it clear, they don't have the power or the godliness to heal. That's what they say. That's the wonderful thing about this passage. Something happens, and then Peter and John give us the backstory because they explain it, because they're questioned about it. Peter and John, who were there, who were involved, say, no, no, we don't have the power or godliness to heal this man. I'm not just playing with words here. I think this is important. Peter and John are used by God through the Holy Spirit to bring healing to this man in order to bring glory to Jesus. They were used. They were involved. They demonstrated faith. They demonstrated obedience. They were a key part of it. But the power and the godliness that actually healed this man was not theirs. It was Jesus. Does everybody get that? It was, it was Jesus. Jesus heals this man. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the godliness. Jesus gets all the glory. Let's just think about this for a moment. Jesus has the power to heal. When, when he says, yeah, we, we don't have the power and godliness, they mean Jesus has the power and godliness because they go on to say, that's who did it. 
Jesus has the power to heal because he is God the Son through whom the whole world was created and is held together. So in the beginning of John, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, that's talking about Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has the power to heal because of who he is. He is the creator and the sustainer of all life. Second one, Jesus has the godliness to heal, which I think is another way of them expressing or saying that he has the right to heal. Because Jesus' godliness was all about his obedience to the Father. It was the fact that he was obedient to come to earth, the fact that he was obedient in never sinning. That same obedience took him to the cross. And on the cross, he paid through his sacrifice the penalty so that our sins could be forgiven and so that our sicknesses could be healed. Listen to Isaiah 53 verse 5, talking about Jesus on the cross. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So Jesus has the right to heal because of what he's done. He's paid the bill. He's paid the price. He was sacrificed. He lived the perfect life. He went to the cross. On the cross, he suffered so that he has the right to come and forgive not only our sins, but also heal our sicknesses. So it is Jesus who has both the power because of who he is and the right to do healing miracles like this. Jesus healed this man. Are we all happy with that? It was Jesus who healed this man. So what part did Peter and John play? Let's look at it under two headings, because the clue is in what they say. We need to look at what does in the name of Jesus mean, and what does praying in faith mean? See, verse 16, what Peter says Peter and John says, gives the whole clue to this. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as all of you can see. So let's think about in the name of Jesus or in Jesus' name. You see, it's shorthand for who Jesus is and what he does, including that power and that right to heal. For many of us, our names are just an identification. You know, they were chosen by our parents for a whole range of reasons. Some of us are named after relatives, parents, singers, film stars. One reason why I'm called Dale and my brother is called Reese is because my mum decided she wanted names that couldn't be shortened. So when she watched telly and listened to the radio when she was pregnant, she listened for every name that couldn't be shortened. 
And she liked Reese and she liked Dale, and so that's what she called us. That's why I'm called Dale. There's nothing, there's nothing more in it than that. That was the criteria that my mum put on it. But in the Bible, people are often given names because it's what they are, because it's who they are going to be. So in the Old Testament, lots of people are given names, and it represents what they're going to do with their lives. Some even get name changes when they go from not following God to following God to denote that things have changed. And you know, the names of Jesus are exactly the same. If you turn over your notes that I gave you, you will see this list of a whole number of the names of Jesus that you find in the Bible. And the reason why these are so helpful is because these names of Jesus explain what Jesus does, who he is. And later on, you can look at them, but one of them, as you will see, is my healer, because that is one of the things that Jesus does. He is the healer. He is all of those. And when we say in Jesus' name, we mean, in a sense, all of those. So proclaiming Jesus' name or doing something in his name, right? It's much more than just, I'm doing this on his behalf, or he instructed me to do it, or he's my mentor. Or sometimes you see people go up to television awards and they win and they say, I'm dedicating this to my mentor or such and such, or I'm dedicating this to my mom or my wife or my husband or whoever. When Peter and John say this, what they're really declaring they're declaring that Jesus and Jesus alone is going to do something in this situation. They're declaring in the name of Jesus, it means, no, no, Jesus is going to come and do something. Jesus, who is the healer, the shepherd, the guide, the powerful one, he is going to come and do something. That's really what they're declaring. I think it's hard for us to get our heads around this. I kind of remember those old films where the soldiers ride up and turn up at the castle and bang on the door and shout out, open up in the name of the king, in a slightly deeper voice with a beard. But it's like they're not simply saying, open this door because the king has sent us to open this door. They're really saying, open this door and obey us as though the king were here himself. Are you with me? That's really what they're saying. And because one of the names of Jesus is the healer, because he alone can truly heal people, he has the power, he has the right, he has the heart. It's one of the things that he does. And so when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, walk, he's effectively telling the man that Jesus, the healer, is about to heal him. He's telling this man he's about to have an encounter with Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the healer. Jesus is about to enter, in a sense, into this man's life. Peter isn't rousing Jesus into action on this man's behalf. He's rousing the man because Jesus is about to come and do a miracle in his life. Do you see the difference? Sometimes when I pray, I think that I've got to rouse Jesus because he's a bit sleepy and doesn't realize that he needs to move in this person's life. That's not how to read this passage. Peter and John somehow know that Jesus is going to do something, and they say, man, look at us, because they know that Jesus the healer is going to come and do a miracle. They're actually getting the man ready for what Jesus is going to do. 
Because Peter and John know that the answer to this man's problems is not them. It's not anything they can give him. It's not even healing. They know the answer to this man's problem is to meet with Jesus. Even if they could have healed the man through their own power and godliness, what good would that have been? He still would have been a man who wasn't reconciled to God. He's still a man who doesn't know Jesus. If they would have just healed him, they would have solved one problem. But what about all the other issues in this man's life? They might have felt good. They might have received thanks from the man. Oh, thank you. You've changed my life. The crowd might, oh, wonderful. You're wonderful, Peter and John. They would have become celebrities. And we know the lengths and debts people go to to become celebrities. But Peter and John, no. What about all the other man's needs? They can't be Jesus to him. They can't be God to him. Jesus is the one who can heal his body. Jesus as the saviour is the one who can reconcile him back to God. Jesus as the provider is the one who can provide all his needs. Jesus is the one who's got wisdom to guide this man through his life. Jesus is the shepherd that can care for him. Jesus is the baptizer who can pour out his Holy Spirit for him. Peter and John know that Jesus is all these things. And this man is going to need Jesus to be all these things. And so in this moment, they're not so worried. I mean, he does get healed, but he gets something much more precious than getting healed. He meets Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus sorts out the healing, but guess what? It's just the start. It's just day one. Jesus is going to be all these things for this man. You can probably meet this man in heaven and ask him. I reckon he'll tell you that Jesus did all this for him and that the healing was just day one. So Peter and John understand what they're praying when they pray and declare healing in the name of Jesus. This list, it's, it's, it's who Jesus is. It's what he does. This is who Peter and John have played their part in introducing to this man. These are the things that Jesus can be and do for this man way beyond his legs. And so Peter and John are happy. They're happy to have, in a sense, introduced him to Jesus, to have been involved in what Jesus has done in this man's life. It's why they can say to the crowd, stop staring at us. If this was me and I was there, I'd be saying, yeah, it was me. In the name of Jesus. Because I'm very, I'm the nurse, so I'll probably start speaking like that. Maybe even walk it in the name of, I said it. I mean, Jesus did it, but I said it. It was Jesus, but it was me. Straight away, Peter and John, don't look at us, it was Jesus. Jesus did it. Yeah, he did it through us. Yeah, he did it through us. We'll come on to that in a moment. But they know this man needs Jesus. He doesn't need us. He needs Jesus. So what do, in a sense, what is Peter and John's role? Well, it says it again in verse 16. It says, by faith. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. You see, how much faith do you think the lame man had before Peter opened his mouth and declared it? How much faith? None. So who had the faith? Peter and John had the faith. That's what they had. What they gave the man was, in essence, their faith in Jesus. That's what they brought to the party. 
The man bought the illness. They bought the faith. Jesus bought the healing. What they have is access to Jesus, relationship with Jesus. They can hear his voice. They're the ones who believe that he can do what he says he will do. They're the ones who hear somehow, and we don't know how, but I reckon Jesus, as they went past, whispered to, I'm going to heal that man. I, do, I think something happened. The Bible doesn't say, but I reckon that they, he, he whispered it to them. He said it to them. We don't know. But somehow, but they had the faith. Once they'd heard Jesus that, no, no, he is going to heal this lame man. And they believe it and they exercise faith by declaring it and seeing it happen. I was trying to find the right words. What do I mean? Uh, this sounds almost blasphemous. Uh, forgive me. I don't want to offend anyone. But it's like somehow they declared, they released, they unleashed the kingdom of God and Jesus into this man's life. I know spiritually that's not right, but that's the kind of sense that I get, that, that somehow uh, that's what they did as they were going through their life. They had faith in Jesus. They heard Jesus speak. Suddenly, it's like the whole of the world stops. Heaven stops. What are they, are they going to declare it or not? Yes, they are, because they've got faith. Jesus is going to heal you, so walk. Dying. I don't know what that bit is in that moment. Are you with me? I don't know what you call it, because Jesus is Jesus. He could have healed the man's legs at any time. And yet it's like he waits and he uses his people. So what's that called when somehow Jesus, the kingdom of God, gets released, gets unleashed, gets declared? It's like Jesus wasn't in a box before. It's not like he couldn't do it without them, but he chooses not to. What, are, you, are you with me? That's what I'm trying to, it's that, I can't find a word for it. I suppose because I'm trying to describe the all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful God working in a man's life through another person. I don't know. How does that, what word do you get for that? It's like they open the door, they unleash, they release, they introduce. It's something like that. Whatever that is that, that's what they did. Because just saying Jesus' name won't accomplish anything. It's like in the films when they say open sesame and the door opens because anybody who says open sesame makes the door open. It's not that. You can't just say a prayer and then add in Jesus' name. I'd like a Ferrari in Jesus' name. See, because it, it, it says in, by faith in Jesus' name. Peter and John, in that moment, they had to exercise faith. They didn't just walk around to lots of, you know, men who couldn't walk. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Oh, one worked. That's not what they did. It was by faith. In that moment, they heard from heaven that Jesus wanted to do something to encounter that man. Now declare it ahead of time. It's faith in that moment. And that's what they exercised. It was faith that they had. Somehow, I don't, I, I, I don't understand this, right? Not only did Peter and John understand what they meant by declaring in the name of Jesus, right? Who he was, his power, his God. They understood all that. But in the moment, they believed that he was going to do what his name said. And by faith, they were somehow going to be involved. It's like, it's like they had one arm up to heaven listening to Jesus, and they had one hand pointed at the man. And somehow, through them, weak and feeble men... Jesus is going to unleash his power from heaven 
And somehow it's going to be unleashed at the word that they say, and it's going to heal that man. I just do not understand it. And you know, you and I are the same. We have exactly, we're in the same situation. We don't have miraculous powers. Does everybody here realize they're not super Christian? We do not have miraculous powers. But if you're a Christian here, you have access to Jesus. You are a son and daughter of Jesus. You and I have the right to declare the mighty name of Jesus into and over situations and let him loose. We are carriers of his presence. There we are a connection between Jesus and who he is and his power coming in and changing people's lives. That's who you and I are. It's actually good news for us. It's a blessing for us. Because if you and I think that the power to heal people is in us, then this is what will happen. We'll do it three, four, five, ten times, and if nothing happens, we'll give up. But if we understand that the power to heal isn't in us, but we have the right, the ability to pray in the name of Jesus into and over sickness, then we can do that every day, day one, day 50, day 100, because he hasn't changed. He still has the power and godliness to do it, and we can still pray in faith because of that. What it means is that the healing remains down to him. Therefore, if he heals, he gets the glory, but he also takes the responsibility when it doesn't. Are you with me? The responsibility does not lie. The responsibility lies on us to pray, to declare, to listen to Jesus and do what he says, but the responsibility does not rely on us to heal the person. That always lies with Jesus. And therefore, I can still pray today as passionately as I did two, three years ago for Arwen. Why? Because Jesus is the same. If Jesus gives me a dream or a prophetic word or somehow nudges me that, I, that he's going to heal this person or that person, I can pray with more faith. I can have increased faith. But even if he doesn't, I can still pray with faith. Because Jesus is who he says he is, and he does what he says he can do. Oh, my goodness. 34. Okay. Let me land some of this. I was at a prayer meeting the other day here, and I was asking God, God, how comes only half the people that come to life group comes to prayer meetings? I don't understand it, God. You know I wrestle with you about this. I don't get it. Prayer is the powerhouse of the church, why is it there's only half of us here to pray as would normally be on a life group night? It's the kind of thing that someone like me wrestles through with God because I'm a bit sad like that. I felt God say to me, some people don't come and pray corporately because they don't pray individually. They haven't learned to pray for themselves. And that really got into my gut and has been eating away at me in a good way uh, for about the last week, 10 days. See, because I think that we need to be those who, whatever the word is, declare, release, unleash, introduce, pray, declare healing in our own lives through faith in the name of Jesus. We need to be doing this ourselves, for ourselves, in terms of physical healing, in terms of mental healing, in terms of emotional healing, in terms of spiritual healing. When we go through that list of the names of Jesus, that's who Jesus is. That's what he wants to be in our lives. That's what he wants 
to do. But we are the ones who, in that sense, have to be like Peter and John and identify what that thing is, look at it, and then be able to say to it, in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, go. We need to be able to declare with faith, in the name of Jesus, those things that are going around our heads, going around in our hearts that we know are not of God, that bind us and depress us and hold us back and hold us down. We need to learn to do that, and we need to do it. We need, if, you go, if anybody here is struggling with a physical issue, or something that goes around in your mind that shouldn't be there, or there's something in your emotions, hurt, fear, whatever it may be, if it's something in your mind that you know is not right, do you know the answer is Jesus? You can find the answer in Jesus because he is all these things. You can go down and see which one, Jesus, I need you to give me peace. I need you to give me healing. I need you to provide for me. So we need to identify that. And then I think we need to almost, we need to stick that thing out in front of us and imagine that we're Peter and John kind of looking at that lame man, looking at that issue. We need to do that with our issue. Stick it there. And we need to decide, we need to choose that we're going to trust Jesus, that he's the one who we're going to trust to get us free of that thing. He's the one who's going to give us grace to get over that thing. We're not going to trust in self-help books. We're not going to trust in self. We're not going to trust in other people. We're going to trust in Jesus every day, day by day, because this is who he is. We need to learn to pray for ourselves that Jesus will set us free and keep us free. It's also true that we live in a world full of people that are spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, and are sick. And they don't know Jesus who can set them free. And we've got to believe and expect that Jesus is going to use us to encounter them. He's going to use us in the same way that he used Peter and John. That we might have the privilege of introducing people to Jesus. That we might be witnesses of the things that he, the miracles that he does in their lives. That somehow he is going to use us to release, unleash, bring, connect the kingdom of God and people's needs. We've got to believe that he wants to do this in our lives, and then he wants to do this through us into the lives of other people. I think that's what Peter and John had worked out. God, we don't deserve it, but you've done this in us. And now, as I, we're, they're going through life, you're going to use us to do it in other people. Does that make sense? This is what I'd like to do, and then I'll hand back over to Quincy. I want to encourage you just to, for a moment to ask the Holy Spirit if there is anything under the area of physical health, spiritual health, emotional health, or mental health that he wants to put his finger on this morning. I just want you to ask him quickly. It may be while I've been talking. It might be right now. It might be as you scan that list. It must be that the Holy Spirit is prompting it. Because in a minute, I'm going to invite you to stand up, and then I'm going to pray that Jesus would come and encounter you and would heal you of that thing. 
that there will be people here today that said it was on that day, on that Sunday, when Jesus set me free of that thing. You might have to keep on praying about it afterwards. You might have to keep on asking him to live in the good of your freedom, but you've got to be set free before you can do that. It might be a physical thing that you've maybe grown cynical about that God might be a spiritual thing. You might not be a Christian here this morning and you know that your sins need to be forgiven and Jesus might be speaking into your heart right now about that. It might be a mental thing. It might be that you know that there are things going around your head, thoughts, where you look at life, where you look at Jesus, where you look at God, where you look at church and you know that you need to be healed from something. It might be emotional. It might be something along the lines of fear lukewarmness, half-heartedness. It might be cynicism itself. I don't know what it is. It could be a, a number of things. But if anybody feels that God is prompting them this morning with any of those, then I want to invite you to stand up right now. Don't stand if you don't feel prompted, honestly. I, but do stand if you do. Okay, just fix that thing in your mind. And open up your hands. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that as you encountered that man all those years ago and healed him of his physical need, we ask, Lord, that you will now encounter us. And you will heal things that we need healing. I pray in faith in the name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. By the power of his spirit. That you will come Lord. And you will bring healing. You will release healing. 